you know, Logan. This was, without a doubt, the most perfect night I've had in a very long time. But I don't deserve it. Hey everybody, welcome to the very first real episode of Real Right and Real Rotten. This is a podcast where we're going to be taking a look at the highs and lows of your favorite Hollywood artists. Each month we're going to be using Rotten Tomatoes to determine the best and worst film of one individual's filmography. You're going to listen along and you can uh, let us know your thoughts about these movies. So, I am one of your hosts, my name is Wes Teasdale. And I am your other host, Clay McCormick. That's right. And you guys might know us from the Star Trek podcast, uh, the Penske podcast. You might know us from the Prisoner podcast, our other shows that we've done. This is a new one. It's called Real Ripe and Real Rotten. And uh, the patrons who support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file have chosen Patrick Stewart over William Shatner as our first uh, topic of discussion. So for the first month, we're going to be doing the best and worst film of Patrick Stewart's Rotten Tomatoes filmography list. And that is Logan at 93%, and then we have Christmas Eve at 0%. And this episode is going to be talking about Logan. So, Clay, I thought we'd start this off with just a brief uh, going through the the history, the life and times of Sir Patrick Stewart, who was born July 13th, 1940, in Murfield, England, to Gladys and Alfred Stewart. He has two older brothers, Trevor and Jeffrey, and he grew up poor in a household of domestic violence. His father suffered combat fatigue, which is what they used to call PTSD. I didn't mean to laugh at that, but I just think combat fatigue is a kind of a funny name. Um, <laughs> <and he laughs> PTSD. Was, <laughs> and he was, uh, he was uh, Jesus, I shouldn't be laughing. He's abusive to Stewart's mother. Um, it was sort of a difficult growing up for Patrick Stewart, so he dropped out of school at age 15. Does that surprise you? That he dropped out of school uh kind of yeah he doesn't seem yeah the, he sounds he sounds so learned yeah he doesn't seem the type <laughs> maybe that's just our that american cliche of you think uh british people are intelligent because they talk that way but um i don't know i, I guess we'll have to we'll, we'll work through it but he was 15 when he dropped out he worked a bunch of odd jobs including becoming a newspaper reporter um i guess you didn't have a lot of requirements back then when you could just be a high school dropout and become a reporter uh he became a member of the royal shakespeare company in 1966 and remained there until 1982 he debuted on tv in 1967 on coronation street as a fireman which is a fantastic role um he had a bunch of roles on british tv and british film but he never really became a household name he had minor roles in a bunch of american films of the 80s including excalibur dune and life force which we've talked yeah. about. We've talked about two of those on our Patreon podcast. So if you want to become a, a supporter of the show, you can listen to those. In the uh, the 1980s, that was his kind of claim to fame. And then in 1987, he auditioned for Star Trek: The Next Generation and won the role of Captain Jean Luc Picard. The LA Times called him uh, at his casting a unknown British Shakespearean actor. Um, the series. Uh, he was hoping the series would flop. He had no intention of sticking around, but much to his dismay uh, and much to Star Trek fans' uh, glee, the series went on for seven years and had four feature films. When asked in 2011 for the highlight of his career, he chose Star Trek The Next Generation because, quote, it changed everything for me. Um, he commented he would never have joined The Next Generation had he not known that it would air for seven years. Quote, no, no, no. Looking back on it now, it still frightens me a little bit to think that so much of my life was totally devoted to Star Trek and almost nothing else. Um, he, 
after Star Trek ended, he went on to do a bunch of sort of movie work. Uh, he's done a whole bunch of the X-Men series, which we're going to be talking about. He was seven X-Men films as Charles Xavier, which is probably one of the most perfect castings of all time, but we'll talk about that. Um, he's done a bunch of TV voiceover, uh, movies, American Dad, Family Guy, Blunt Talk, Extras, New York and London Theater, the Emoji Movie. He's got a whole bunch of sort of supporting roles at this point. Nothing really breakout outside of the X-Men and Star Trek movies, if you'd even consider those breakouts. But his Rotten Tomatoes, uh, his highest rated movie is L.A. Story, which he plays the Maitre D in. And then we have Logan at 93%, Star Trek First Contact. And then, Clay, what do you think the best rated X-Men movie outside of Logan would be? Um, uh, X, if it's not X-Men 2, I'm going to say Days of Futures Past. Yep, it's Days of Futures Past. And then Green Room yeah. is his fifth one. And we're going to be so talking. So wait, how come we're not doing, um, what was that first one you said? L.A. Story. Mater D? Yeah, oh, because <laughs> we, we, we've had, we have to have a couple of rules here where uh, if they're just sort of bit roles, they, they're not going to be it. He is, he's building Logan as the second cast member on the posters ah, and everything yes. so that's that's good enough for me to be considered him a movie um, so that means we won't be doing like if we get to arnold schwarzenegger we won't be doing like uh the uh, robert altman's the long goodbye as right. his best movie <laughs> right and we won't be doing documentaries or anything like that um yeah. and then so just a, a brief thing about logan is a 2017 american superhero film produced by marvel distributed by fox it's the 10th installment in the x-men film series and the third and final wolverine solo film after origins wolverine and the wolverine the film takes its inspiration from old man logan comic book series by mark millar and steve mcniven uh, it follows an aged Wolverine and an extremely ill Professor X defending the former's biological Mexican daughter, Laura, from the villainous Reavers and the alkali transigen led by Xander Rice and Donald Pierce, directed by James Mangold. He wrote the screenplay with Scott Frank and Michael Green. Uh, Hugh Jackman stars as Logan in his allegedly final portrayal of the character after having played the role for 17 years with Patrick Stewart, the focus of this podcast, co-starring as Charles Xavier. It's at 93% on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics, 90% on the audience uh, score, which people were concerned about, Clay. Do you do you look at the audience ratings for Rotten Tomatoes as opposed <clears> to the <throat> critic ratings? Um, not really. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't use Rotten Tomatoes that much at all. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I kind of, when I do, I kind of look at both of them because, you know, it's like, it's kind of like looking at reviews on Amazon to an extent mm -hmm. where uh, you kind of have to get a, an aggregate of like a handful of them to kind of parse out what the actual issue is. Yeah, you need to know what the motivation of writing the review is. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, you, you got to watch. <laughs> like it's like uh, if if you're looking at something on Amazon and you and it sees you see that there's like a bunch of uh, low ratings and you look at those low ratings and all of those low ratings are I'm giving this a one. Because Amazon did not give me the right box, right? You know, like it has nothing to do well. with the actual product. It has like it's like some service thing that really doesn't help anybody if you rate it that low. <laughs> the Rotten Tomatoes critic consensus for Logan is Hugh Jackman makes the most of his final outing as Wolverine with a gritty, nuanced performance in a violent but surprisingly thoughtful superhero action film that defies genre conventions. So, Clay, I thought that we'd uh, the best way to get into this would be my question to you is. How would you describe Patrick Stewart's film actor role? Like, you know how there's there's categories of actors. There's leading man, there's character mm -hmm. actor, there is, you know, things like that. I was trying to figure out, he has a pretty interesting film, like, 
filmography, really, where he's he's never really the leading man of anything. But at the same time, I wouldn't call him a character actor. He, he's almost like a second tier star in, in a weird way. And I don't know yeah. if that's I don't know if that's insulting to him, but it's just funny because he's he's obviously he can obviously star on TV and theater as the lead name. But he, he doesn't make that into movies in the same way. Yeah, he seems to be perpetually the uh, the with category, you know, where they go through the people who are in the movie and then it'll say with Patrick Stewart or, right. uh, yep. you know, with somebody and Patrick Stewart, that kind of thing. Like it's the uh, elder statesman role. Because, <clears throat> um, yeah, he's – yeah, he. I can't – I can't think of a movie he's starred in, right? Like he's – Christmas Eve, which is at zero percent. Wait, he's the he has a starring role in that movie. He, he's the lead role. It looks like it's an ensemble movie. I haven't seen it yet, but he he's the number one name on the credits oh of the poster. Yeah, it should be interesting. Yep. Um, but yeah, he's. I mean, he he is a weird. He does fulfill a real a weird role because he's not really a leading man, but he's not a utility player. He's just like a really solid. Uh, secondary star, yeah, yeah like you're saying, yeah, yeah it's it, it's it's unique. I'm sure there are other people that are like that, but it's it's funny to me that he he's proven that he can do it. It might just be a, a byproduct of his age at the time he started making movies. Like he wasn't mm-hmm. he in the '80s when he was younger, he wasn't name enough to actually star in things. So he was a guest, he was a guest, not a guest actor, but he was a um, secondary or third tertiary star on things like Dune and things like that. And as he got older. He's a little bit too old to be the leading man role, but he so he just kind of slides into these secondary uh, roles, the with Patrick Stewart and all that stuff, and he does a good job in it. Um, and that ties us into the, you know, he did the four Star Trek films, and that slides into his probably after the Star Trek films, the X Men series is his biggest film role for how long it's been and how many movies he's done seven movies, uh, seventeen oh, years basically, yeah. and yeah. I think that. I'll start off the conversation by just saying that you can feedback off of me or give me feedback on what I'm about to say. But the the X-Men superhero movies are probably my favorite of the superhero movie series that are out there. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I think that they're the best ones. I think that they make the best movies out of all of them. Um, Not that a lot of them are perfect. And it's it's funny to me, the X-Men series, more than any of the other superhero series, has undergone a huge transformation from like where it started with X-Men and X-Men 2. Um, yeah. If you go back and watch X-Men, the original movie, it looks like the budget was like $100,000 at this point. Like, yeah. it's, it's so cheap looking. <laughs> and now they're really sort of Days of Future Past, like, looks fantastic. And now the cast is just enormous and there's all these things going and then you so you have these really great movies like uh, Logan and I like Days of Future Past. And then you have really terrible movies like Apocalypse, Age of Apocalypse or whatever, X-Men yeah. Apocalypse. And so they the variety that the X-Men movies have is different from all the other superhero movies. And I think that Logan ties into that in a lot of ways. I don't know how you got me here, but uh, thank you. Yeah. You can talk. You can talk. Fuck. Why the fuck? What, what's all this bullshit been for the last 2,000 fucking miles? What? Shut up. Okay, shut up. Shut up. Shut the fuck up! 
Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the X-Men are unique among superhero franchises because they've kind of existed before the boom and they haven't, and it's been essentially the same cast for more or less for almost 20 years. Yeah. So you can see in that first movie where uh, they still were kind of, Hollywood was still like embarrassed about comic books a little bit. Like yeah. there's a lot of comic book stuff in the first X-Men movie. Uh, but at the same time, everybody's wearing black leather and they're kind of playing a lot of the, the flashier stuff down. Although Toad is still there and looks fucking weird for some reason. The the jumping um, is all done by wire work. It looks like at yeah. that point still. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't doing a lot of, you know, CGI, uh, body replacements and stuff like that, at least not to the extent that they do now. Um, and yeah, like you are saying, you, you, you fast forward to days of future past which is just i mean so like the first x-men movie you don't really uh, uh okay let me backtrack one more time um the thing that i love about days of future past is when i was watching it i realized it was the first time out of all of these movies where you got to see the x-men fighting together just doing x-men stuff right yeah and if you go back to the first one you don't really get that. They just kind of like walk around and then like one person fights one person and then one person fights another person, kind of like any other action movie ensemble usually goes where yeah. it's like, oh, they tackled Wolverine off screen, so they're going to fight for five minutes. Yes, the the fight um, scenes are like their own little set pieces of characters whose powers kind of interact with each other, interestingly, yeah. or maybe not so interesting, but they have like Sabretooth versus Logan, which uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and then you've on uh, you've got a, a nice fight scene with with Wolverine and Mystique, which has a little bit of CGI, you know, special effects stuff, but it's mostly just a fist fight. But then in Days of Future's Past, the the movie opens with five X Men all on screen together, all using their powers to fight fucking Sentinels, and it's like when you get to that point, as a comic book fan, I was just freaking out because that's the thing that you that I've been waiting to see in these movies for you know as much as I love them. Uh, you know, X-Men 2, I think, is still the probably the best one top to bottom um, just because the store is so good. But uh, even that one doesn't have a ton of X-Men stuff in it. Like, you, you go back, I remember watching X-Men 2 and losing my shit when Colossus showed up for half a second. Yeah. Just because, you know, they hadn't really done that stuff and, and speculating about what background characters are supposed to be which mutants. And then Days of Future's Past comes along and it's like, no, this is clearly fucking Bishop from the comic. You know, I never thought in a million years I'd see Bishop in a movie. Sure. Um, but so I know we're not talking about Logan, but this leads into Logan for me yes, anyway. Yes, it does. Yep. Because Logan is, and I, I give them all the credit in the world for, for t- taking three times to get it right, but Logan is the Wolverine movie that hits that, freak out level that days of futures past hit for me with the x-men in general logan hits that for wolverine because wolverine in these movies has always been kind of you know he's been kind of cool the first movie doesn't really do a lot the second movie he he has one scene where he kind of you know messes a bunch of guys up which is awesome and at the time i freaked out about that but you never really got to see wolverine you know you know what's and in this you know, movie what's yeah. that well you know what's funny about the the x-men 2 scene there is no blood in the fight scene. Oh, yeah. where he none, goes none around. At all. He goes around stabbing people in the chest with his claws and stuff like that. The like 
you know, what's funny to me is the, the way that they set Wolverine up. It, it makes sense in sort of a business standpoint where Wolverine is in the first movie, right? Like, yeah. So if if they had had hindsight and they kind of set this up as a, like a Marvel Cinematic Universe, I feel that Wolverine is the kind of character you introduce in the second movie. After the team has been formed, you bring mm-hmm. in this sort of like renegade character who doesn't want to be on the team it it, it feels he's obviously too popular at the time to exclude him from the first movie but and like on a story level he feels like he should come in later and not really fit in with the group dynamic that's been set up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they can't do that at that point so my main problem with the x-men movies is that going all the way from the original movie to logan this includes a criticism of logan is that for every movie involves Wolverine learning to work with other people <laughs> like yeah he, he never seems he never seems to remember that working with other people is a good thing to do so he always has mm. to reset his character back to the character who doesn't give a fuck about anybody and then he's like oh never mind I actually do care and then two years later another movie comes out and he's back to the same story arc and that's kind of a problem with Logan at this point it's just th- that character arc is so repetitive across all the X-Men movies yeah, um, I feel like they actually break that with him in Days of Future's Past because he pretty much is good to go from the beginning of that movie. Um, but yeah, Je- I mean, I think what that comes down to though is is like Wolverine as a, as just like a a part of the team is a little bit boring. You know, uh, he's the the thing that made him so uh, attractive was that he was this outsider character that was kind of a loose cannon. So if you bring if if his character going forward is just like no he's just you know he teaches at the school it kind of they've been doing that for a long time in the comics I guess and I'm sure they've been doing it successfully I haven't been have been reading a lot of them recently but I don't know I seem like that takes a little bit of edge away from him you know yeah and I, well I mean I think it ties into the the fact that there's no blood in X two during his thing is problematic from the sense of the blood is what separates that character from the rest of the X Men. Like his sort of oh, 100%. His, his like brutality level is what makes it different. And I give that I give the second movie credit for he's actually killing these guys with his claws. But it, it they don't approach they don't approach Logan esque territory where the, the violence of this character is like fundamental to the movie, how violent yeah. everything is. Yeah. And I don't think that the, the X-Men movies ever really make a point of it, but it seems like it's a natural conflict for this well-organized pacifist group of mutants to be totally off-put by Logan's personality type, basically. Yeah, and they've never, I mean, they never explored what his violence means to that group either, because, you know, like you're saying, I mean, like you're saying the... Uh, uh, the X-Men fight, it's almost like the X-Men fighting other mutants is kind of like, it's kind of like sparring to a certain extent. Like yes. It, no one really gets hurt. And, uh, you know, Cyclops can blast shit, but no one, like, he doesn't cut people in two or anything like that. And then you've got Wolverine, who's just, <laughs> he's just fucking killing people. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like, it's like if you're playing pickup basketball and then that one guy comes to play, and he just like the first play, he gets the ball and elbows somebody in the nose. Yeah, yeah. It's like that 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 shock of of playing style. Um, yeah, Logan is playing by Jordan rules to use the basketball yeah. analogy. He he's hitting hard uh, anytime someone comes into the lane. Yeah, and they never really got into what that means in the context of the team, uh, which 
you know, when they ev- eventually bring him back in some form, I would love to see if they did that where they really, uh, you know, because up through the, the the first handful of movies, he's an outsider because he's a loner. Yeah. He's not an outsider because he's a loner who is also an assassin who just fucking wrecks people. Right. I Well, I, I think that the... Like, the, it's kind of a funny stance on Xavier's pacifist route, which is that he has this team. This, the movies do this more than the comics, I think. But the, the movies have this thing where, you know, everything's well and good with the X-Men team. However, when you need someone to come in and actually save the day, Logan fits that role because he's the one that can come in and actually, you know, cause violence onto people as opposed to the other members of the team who are more reticent to do that. Or if they are, their powers are more... The powers are used to like knock people over as opposed to actually yeah. cause harm to them. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so Logan is the, for all of the sort of peace and stuff that Xavier represents and wanting to get to the best of mankind, he kind of has to use this wrecking ball to do it in a lot of ways, or at least defend himself from more aggressive people. Yeah. And I, I know in the comics, um, uh, one of the more recent iterations of X Force. Uh, they turned X Force into basically the Black Ops Wetworks team for the X Men, and I, if I remember correctly, in the in in the book itself or in the X Men comics universe, there was a big debate about whether or not that was a good thing to do. Like you've, I think, I think Cyclops was running the team at the time, and he, you know, told Wolverine to put this team together, and there was a lot of pushback from other people being like, well. Don't you think you're, you're going to a place we don't need to go to? And that's sort of like interesting, you know, ethics argument, really, um, about whether or not you should take the gloves off. Right. Uh, and that's I find that interesting. I, I, I'm I, I'm ups, not upset, but I'm bummed out that they never really had the time to, to deal with that a little bit. Because yeah. up until this movie, Wolverine is kind of the uh, he's kind of a cartoon Wolverine to a certain extent where he's got all the it's like uh, do you remember the second ninja turtles movie secret of the ooze oh of course yeah the thing that always weirded me out about that movie is that they wouldn't let leonardo fight with his swords <laughs> because when you because in that in those movies they're all you know it's they're for kids and they're all about like you know violence but not to the point where anyone actually really gets hurt and one of your main characters is fighting with two fucking swords. Right, yeah. <laughs> so he had to, like, ditch his swords and fight with sticks. And it always felt weird to me. And it fe- I feel like most of the Wolverine, the X-Men movies up to this point are very similar, where it's like they've got the, the protective cork tips on the end of Wolverine's claws. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, the movies are more content to focus on... Previous to the previous to Logan, they're they're almost more content to focus on the pain that Wolverine suffers from them. You know, it's more of yeah. like an internal pain that he's going through with them, as opposed to the fact that they are incredibly dangerous to other people who sort of get on his bad side and things like that. Which which is interesting because there's an aspect that they didn't do in this movie that I was actually looking it up to see if I just made this up or not, and and the. <laughs> My my results are inconclusive. Uh, I'm going to have to look up some more stuff. But um, <laughs> so, I mean, this movie is all about Wolverine kind of dealing with his history, right? Like the, uh, we can get into the uh, uh, um, uh, the clone thing a little bit later. But like he's literally fighting himself. Like the villain of this movie is Wolverine. Yes. You know, yep. as far as Wolverine is concerned. 
And there's an aspect that I, they didn't do, again, which I may have made this up when I was a kid. I can't remember. Um, but in the comics, my understanding of, of the group, the Reavers, who are the, uh, the, um, the, cyborgs. You know, the mercenary, c- cyborg mercenaries that hunt, hunt down the uh, X-23 in this movie. My understanding of the, of the Reavers was uh, <clears throat> during the Dark Phoenix saga, there's this uh, um, awesome sequence where Wolverine gets you know, sh- knocked into the sewer of the Hellfire Club. Yep. And then uh, the rest of the X-Men team is incapacitated, and they assume Wolverine is as well, but of course he's not. And he makes his way up through the Hellfire Club's base just fucking wrecking people. And just he goes through and he basically kills everybody. Sure. And uh, Or killing and maiming. And I was under the impression, I thought I read this somewhere. I may have made it up. If I made it up, it's pretty good. And I give a pat on the back to, old, <laughs> uh, to young Clay for this. <laughs> I was under the impression that the Reavers in the comic were members of that Hellfire Club group that Wolverine had maimed who had then become cyborgs and specifically were going after Wolverine. So they were li- they were literal consequences of Wolverine's actions coming back to haunt him. Right. And I kind of wish <laughs> I-, I wish they had used that in the movie assuming that's a real thing that happened again, I don't know. Um but I I thought like thematically that would have been so perfect to fit into this movie if all of these guys, all of these mercenaries were actually were basically victims of Wolverine through the years who right. had, yeah. you know, now come back more powerful. And all. I, th- I thematically, I thought that would have been a great addition. I don't know if that's too complicated because I think um, what this movie does really well and what I've noticed the, the last few movies we watched is it's a really simple concept and it's just done really well. Yes. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a, that that's a key. And I think a good springboard into talking about this one. So I think that the it, it's a very simple story that again maybe you could consider repetitive um, in terms of the Wolverine story, where it's it's Logan looking for sort of a, a redemption arc going forward to rescue this little girl and bring her to um, Eden, which is somewhere in North Dakota, apparently. Um, Sorry, I just want to say he's not the thing that's really I've always found interesting about Wolverine is he's not ever looking for redemption. He's always actively trying to avoid it. Yes, yeah. And that but he can't not do the right thing. You know, he wants to he sets himself up as this badass who's going to just like if it doesn't in if it doesn't involve me, I don't want any part of it, but he always ends up doing the right thing even if it ends up getting him killed. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, quite literally here. Yeah. I mean, so let's I, I think a good point here is to reset and start from the beginning how we normally do, just because I'm sort of comfortable with that uh, format. Yep. So I, this is the first time I've ever seen Logan. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I had not watched it before this. Um, to give backstory of my previous X-Men things, I like Days of Future, Past, and First Class, I think, are the two best X-Men movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the worst ones are like Apocalypse and uh, whatever the, the terrible first Wolverine solo story is where he's oh, fighting God. Deadpool on the top of the nuclear reactor. <laughs> yeah, woof. <laughs> so that that's my that's my sort of going into, you know, like I that that's my sort of sort of stance on the X-Men movies in general. I thought that I thought that this one is 
a good way for the movie series to go, which is a smaller story, sort of low key. It's not really even kind of a superhero story. Like it's the right. it's the exact opposite of every reason that I hated the Apocalypse movie because the Apocalypse movie was just the boilerplate. This is how you make a superhero movie at this point. You mean um, you don't like people standing in the middle of swirling particles for two hours <laughs> as as a as every city on earth is destroyed by forces that we can't comprehend yet you never see anybody die um yeah although exactly. i will say that the best part of apocalypse was the thing you pointed out where at the end they fight apocalypse in a very comic booky way where they're all doing something different yes um yeah. which is kind of nice but outside of that I, the movie was not good i think the best part of apocalypse is when <laughs> When Apocalypse gathers all of his horsemen and they're like listening to Metallica in a factory and he's giving them all makeovers. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's it brings up it, uh, we'll, we'll have to do Apocalypse at some point. Apocalypse is just an impossible villain to do. You know, th- that's the that's yeah. the reason that the Logan movie works well. And I'll, I'll kick this off to you by just saying that the reason I really like the x-men movies and why i think they're very good superhero movies if they're if they're not the best are the ones that i kind of enjoy the most is because they're the only series to me and this goes across the marvel universe it goes across the batman stuff it goes across the dcu universe it goes across all this stuff where the x-men movies are the only ones where i actually feel an emotional reaction to the fact that the heroes that's all in certain points the heroes always feel like they could lose what's going on the x-men are never the X-Men are never overpowered or cartoonishly confident like the Avengers would be. Like, it's never this sort of like, all we have to do is act on it. The X-Men movies do a very good job of putting people in bad situations that you feel that they actually are in trouble at a certain point and things could go bad for them. And I think Logan really does that well. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, yeah, the thing the thing with the X-Men movies that, that usually works pretty well is that a lot of times you end up with characters who, I mean, most of the time it's characters who have these powers <clears throat> that can, that are the solution to the situation they're in, but they are not confident enough in the use of them to know whether or not they can pull it off. Yeah. And that's that's really easy to relate to. I mean, aside from uh, I'm not saying that I know what it's like to be able to, you know, lift a stadium with my mind, but I do know what it's like to uh, have a task in front of me that I don't know if I can do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, on I, that I, level. Oh, go ahead. On that level, I think it's 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 they're really easy to relate to. And I mean, you know, the the entire concept, uh, the, the difference, the difference with the X-Men between the X-Men and like the Avengers is. Avengers are cool, you know, like nobody on the Avengers is they they play it up as the movies have gone on. Like, you know, Ant-Man is kind of a weirdo and Spider-Man is kind of a, a, a dorky kid. But like the, the Avengers are, are like pretty confident and pretty cool dudes who are all can do really awesome stuff. And the X-Men are all outcasts. And I think that's why they're uh, people um, are are attracted to them. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. it's a really easy thing to identify with. Um well- I you think know, I've been a, it, oh, go ahead. Well, I think it ties into like the the point you made before about like they're they're maybe not confident in using their powers. It also just ties into the fact that a lot of them have powers that are not particularly useful in any sort of way. Like the yeah, the, and I think that Caliban fits into that here, where his his power is really only a downside to him the entire time. Yeah, like he he has no fighting ability. He has no anything like that. 
Um, his ability is only that he can track other mutants, and that is makes him the perfect mutant for them to sort of torture into the government helping uh, use like using him that way. Yeah, and so you know, I, I that's always the str- Wolverine is well equipped, and X twenty three is well equipped in this one. Um, and they bring in, you know, Patrick Stewart's role as Xavier, who's going through this sort of disease state as he approaches the end of his life is the other sort of, uh, weakness opportunity here. But I think that the, you know, this is a, it's a very, Logan's an interesting movie because it, it does all those things that I think that the X-Men series do well. It has the weakness. It has sort of the characters being, um, you like the, the sympathy you feel for the mutants as the government or whatever agency is using them is very realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel that it's not a perfect movie, uh, largely because I think that the Caliban character is so clearly a writing excuse that he kind of distracts me from things. My name is Dr. Rice. But you can call me Zander if you like. My colleague tells me you've been somewhat resistant. He believes you've been dispensing delayed information to allow your friends to stay one step ahead. I'm offering you the possibility of redemption, Caliban. To protect the world and in the process, save your friends. The girl is a rather small price to pay for that. Unlike you, she isn't pure. She wasn't made by nature. She's a mistake of my own. I did what I could, and they burnt me and beat me. Your colleagues are savages. I agree. The Reavers were very ineffective, but I'm bringing new tools to bear. I, I still need someone to point us in the right direction. No, I can't help you. Breathe. Breathe. And what does he have, the old man? Alzheimer's, ALS, a degenerative brain disease in the world's most dangerous brain. What a Caliban is only there and he only has that power because they need a way for the government to find them at some level. Like right. his, his power does not, there's no reason why Wolverine would have chosen Caliban to be the person who looks after uh, Professor X. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's nothing that he does that's specifically useful to Wolverine. Right. And he can only, they have a sort of awkward interaction where once the government finds that their base in Mexico. He says, I thought you said you could track them. And he says, you know, my power, I can only track mutants. So there's not even like, you can't even use Caliban as like an alarm system to tell you that people are coming because he can only sense mutants and mutants are the least of their worries at that point. Yeah. And this, you know, you have no idea what their relationship is or, you know, they don't, they don't ever go into like them being buddies or anything. Right. And then even his, you know, you feel bad for him. He's tortured and everything to sort of help the government find him. And then his his death is actually not even useful in any way. He doesn't he doesn't do anything. He he kills himself, but he doesn't kill the main bad guy. And he, they actually use his dead body at the very end. To, yeah. Uh, well, I guess he creates. I guess he kind of creates a diversion so they can get out of there. Does he? Because I, I, I thought the fight with the uh, fake Wolverine continued after that point. I, I can't remember though. You might be right. Yeah, I think. I think the fight itself might be done, but, you know, I think his death causes enough of a distraction that, uh, <clears throat> they can drive they off. Can, yeah. They can drive off. Yeah. I think okay. I can't exactly remember, but maybe I'm just giving him too much credit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'll just, I'll fire it back by just saying that, uh, people have described it as a, a Western in a film noir. And I think it's neither. And I actually think that's why it's kind of an interesting movie. I think, I think this movie doesn't have a genre. Really, it has bits and pieces of a lot of different things, but it's kind of a unique uh, mashup of different yeah. stuff. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, 
I saw an interview with the director, and he, you know, they were asking him kind of a question like that, and he said he thinks it's very much a western, or that's where he was drawing a lot of inspiration from. And I mean, the the, the emotional core of the movie is pretty literally described by the Professor X watching Shane, yes, right. uh, which is a you know a famous western. So that's definitely in there. But yeah, there's there's uh, there's I could see some noir stuff in there. I can see samurai st- like it feels a lot like Lone Wolf and Cub. A yep. little bit. Um, <clears throat> there's there's a lot of stuff going on, and yeah, it is it is a really uh, interesting mix because I feel like um, since the '90s, specifically since Quentin Tarantino came around, not that he really does this, but people who came after him started doing this. Um, there were a lot of like mash genre mashup kind of things that were very very clear what the the mixes were and so you'd be like oh well this is a samurai movie but it takes place in chicago during prohibition or something like that yeah um and i feel like that trend has continued for a lot for about 20 years and this kind of bucks it by not really – I mean, it has all those influences, but you can't really pin it down to one of them. And it does make for a better movie and something more interesting and kind of kind of different. Yeah, yeah. And it, it still and it still feels like an X-Men movie at the same yeah, time. Like it's, it, it's, does, it does what you're supposed to do, which is not have your influences and then brag to everybody what your influences are. It has its influences and then it's, you know, it synthesizes those together to make something new. Right. Yep. Yep. Not that and, this is like reinventing the wheel or anything, but it's it's you know it's it's good. Yeah, I mean, I, my general take on this is that as someone who's kind of worn out by superhero movies, this one feels refreshingly not like a superhero movie in a lot of ways. It's, yeah. It's really yeah. just kind of a a it's not an adventure story, but it's kind of a redemption story just told. Um, you know, on sort of almost like a road trip adventure kind of thing yeah. that they're going on, and the it almost I, I like the fact that it takes liberties with stuff. Like, would you consider this movie to be like an official story in the main X Men universe line? Um, I I want to say no, uh, if only because it takes. Like the biggest downer about this movie. This movie's very dark. Yes, it's very sad. This might be too. one of yeah, one of the darkest movies. The definitely the darkest comic book movie I've ever seen. Um, but it's just one of the darkest movies in general I've seen in a while. It, like, there's an there's an implication that they don't really go into, but they give you enough to Im- for you to infer that basically Professor X had a aneurysm or a, a seizure, <laughs> seizure and yep. killed the X Men. Yeah, at least at least seven <laughs> Which, of them. Yeah, at least a few of them. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's the the bummer about this movie is that Days of Future Past, and they they spe- the director specifically said he picked the time that it takes place in, so it wouldn't interfere with any continuity. Which you know, I don't give a shit. But because it takes um, place earlier than fu- the Future Past stuff. No, or it takes place after, after the older. So after the Sentinel era. This takes place no, after it, that. I, I believe it takes place after the future era. So, oh, the okay, yeah, which is what makes it so sad because the ending of Days of Future Past is so positive. Like Wolverine literally wakes up in the future and 
everything bad that has happened oh, to him right. is just gone. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so Cyclops isn't dead. Professor X isn't dead. Jean Grey isn't dead. Uh, you know, uh, all these other things that have been uh, negative aspects of the of the whole series are gone. And it's yep. just like, yeah, yeah, you're a teacher at the school and everybody's here and everybody's fine. Fast forward a couple years later and, oh, everyone's dead. Yeah, I mean, what's, and, it's, and it's your fault. <laughs> what's 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 those? It is a tremendously sad movie, and I could feel I could maybe see the argument that people wouldn't particularly like it because what Logan does is essentially argues that everything that the X Men have been doing up to this point has has either not amounted to anything or actively caused harm to uh, to yeah. people, and yeah. you know they they both Xavier and Wolf and Logan die by the end of this movie, and they're. You know, I I, pre- I like the realism of it. It's weird to me what it does to the X-Men storyline if you consider all of the films to be one universe, which I, I think mm. they do a good enough job of confusing you where that doesn't seem obvious and it's not really a question that you bring up. I, I, oh, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, one of the things I actually like um, is they keep everything in this movie as far as Wolverine continuity goes through the three movies. They just strip away the shitty stuff and keep just enough to make it interesting like uh like they keep the he's got his samurai sword that he got from the the second wolverine movie but he also has the adamantium bullets from the first shitty wolverine movie (laughs) which (laughs) which which play a very large role in this movie yes um so i like I, i i always appreciate when you can when you can uh keep keep the shitty stuff as part of the story but use it in a way where it kind of redeems it a little bit. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I think that the they do a good job of weaving that all in together. So, I mean, the story ends up feeling like it belongs in the universe. But you could also tell me that this is sort of a side universe at the same time, where it's just a it's just an artistic interpretation of what could happen at the end of their lives. Yeah. Um, and I think it it really works well that way. It works well as a it's a nice commentary on social change too, I think, in, in some point where, you know, the X-Men could, you could argue that the X-Men are, are fighting for basically equal rights uh, constantly in all their movies. They're basically the outcasts of society or the minorities who are demanding to be taken, um, not be treated poorly. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a nice metaphor for the slowness of social change, which is kind of sad at the same time. Like during your lifetime, you're unlikely to see a lot of change if you're a persecuted minority. Like, it's kind of a sad thing. Like things could be improve and get better for you, but it's really, it's the next generation's responsibility to sort of do things with it. You can only do so much in your time that you're on this planet. And the movie kind of mirrors that where Xavier and Logan are trying to do their change that they can, but they really, they literally pass it off to kids at the end of the movie. And it's like, yeah, yeah this is with you going forward. Well, I was, you know, I, I was going to ask you about that. Do you think killing Wolverine, spoiler alert, um, is the right move at the end of this? Because I actually, I, I s- yeah, I I think the ending of the movie is actually the weakest part of it in a lot of ways. Like from everything from the fight scene to the actual resolution of what's going on. Yeah, because I um, <clears throat> I, it didn't really occur to me as I was watching it because I think I was so depressed by what was happening. <laughs> um, but uh, I I watched a review of it later, and the person reviewing it made it had a good point, which was. It feels like the end of this movie should be Wolverine leading the kids into Canada. Like it like cuz the whole movie is him 
running from this responsibility or, 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 or trying to reject this responsibility or, or reject his role as one of the X-Men or, or his role in the story, basically. As a caretaker, so, essentially. Yeah. He's, he's, he's yeah. a conflicted caretaker the entire movie. Yeah. And, you know, Xavier's gone, so there's nobody else to really do it, and these kids are on their own. It feels like the 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 thematic satisfying ending should be Wolverine survives. He's probably pretty still pretty fucked up, but he survives and is now the person to lead the the, the next generation on. Right. Yeah. 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 I I I don't disagree. I I think that the I I, I guess it all ties into how well you think that they're selling and utilizing the fact that did they ever clarify why Wolverine's powers are kind of fading away? Um, I is, think the implication is adamantium poisoning. Oh, okay. That makes sense, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, the fact is that he's he's sort of aging and his powers are losing their effectiveness and everything throughout the entire movie. And yeah. he he's mirroring Xavier's sort of downturn in that way. And, yeah. you know, I think that the uh, sort of thematically of what they're trying to do with the the characters fading away like that and Wolverine dying at the end and Xavier. I actually think it's kind of a problem in how they portray it. I think they 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 do the Logan aspect better where he doesn't heal quite as quickly like he's he's starting to scar like his fa- he 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 retains injuries from previous things. He walks with a limp throughout most of the movie. His his uh his claw arthritis might be my favorite thing ever. How what do you mean how like slowly the claws come out at this point? Yeah, how he can't like one claw, he has to like pull it out all the right. way like it can't he has yeah. something in there is like catching. It's it's great. It's jammed up, and I think that the you know to bring this back to uh, Patrick Stewart, the whole the point of the podcast is maybe not to talk about the roles individually, but to just sort of be a springboard into it. The I actually feel that Patrick Stewart, uh, his performance in this movie is excellent. I think yeah. that I think that Xavier is not written perfectly from from mm. from a previous this is what patrick stewart as xavier was like from a sense of the character being as existing in these previous movies to just the writing of the way that xavier talks in this movie to his what the nature of his disease is is i think all of those things are kind of weak links in an otherwise pretty sterling performance from him maybe the best xavier performance that we've seen so far and i think that the the biggest problem to me is the nature of Xavier's illness. The fact that the fact that as long as he's taking medication, he's okay is problematic to me on a story level where I feel that his disease should be more like Alzheimer's to me where I here's my problem with the Xavier thing. Xavier, if he's the character that I know from the previous movies, who's this sort of stand-up man who is like always wants to protect for the greater good, he wants to protect people. I don't see a reason why in this movie he never considers suicide. And I see. Yeah. And I think that if he was riddled by Alzheimer's and was unable to do that, Wolverine would not be able to kill him, even though that should be the best thing in everyone's interest to do because he's not of the right mind where they have this thing where Xavier seems to be 100 percent in control as long as he's on his medication. And he seems unwilling to remove himself from this dangerous situation for whatever reason. Yeah, no, I I, I would agree with that. Um, I think Xavier the character that I know would would do that. He would remove himself from the situation. You know, that bothered me a little bit too on a different level. Um, 
the scene uh, where they go to, where they have dinner at the family's house. Yeah. Um, the fact that Xavier is like, no, we should stay here for the night really bothered me this time around because I was thinking to myself, how does he he's got to know that he's putting this family directly in harm's way by doing that. Wolverine brings it up to him. He he mentions yeah. it to him. He's like, you know, this is maybe not the best idea to stay here. People are chasing us. Yeah. That and that bothered me a little bit because I feel like that's kind of in the in line with what you're saying is that's not something that he would actively do. Right. Um like I don't see why they couldn't still do that scene um <clears throat> by having him having them offer for them to stay and then they'd be like, no, we can't, we can't, we got to, we got to keep moving. And then something happens to him physically where it's like, they kind of have to stay. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. Like so, some sort of thing like that. Maybe that's not, I don't know. Maybe that's, yeah, I think that would work. Yeah. Um, you could tie it into his, if, if it is something like Alzheimer's, it's a more, the family insists that he has to stay because you have this sort of guy who's clearly should not be traveling at that yeah, point. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, you could still have those scenes where he's like, oh, this is the best night I've had. And that's um, the whole reason he has to stay there, just to... Uh, my problem with some of the script is that we mentioned in the Discovery podcast is very occasionally this script feels like the writing is just being done because they need to get to that point. I feel very, most strongly with Caliban, who I feel just exists because he needs to exist here. Mm -hmm. And the Xavier thing where he wants to stay at the family just because he has the one... He wants one night of sort of feeling normal and not sad about everything that's happened um yeah which then ends in the saddest thing where a person who looks exactly like wolverine comes in and stabs him and then the real logan runs in and says to a dying xavier i didn't do it it wasn't me which is yeah. probably the saddest thing um at least they didn't have them they didn't really have a brouhaha fight before that like that's the way i would consider a more cliche oh, yeah. script to go yeah. where they were fighting and then he died and he never had a chance to apologize to him they don't do that. i also really like that xavier doesn't have some like long-winded final monologue as he's bleeding out like he just yeah, he just dies. he fades away yeah he just fades yeah. away yeah which is kind of refreshing in a morbid sort of way. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's you know, g going back a little bit to your to your question about does this feel like it it takes place in the in the X-Men universe as it stands? Um I feel like the answer is kind of yes and no because it's clearly it's using elements from the other stuff, but it's like this is just this is a Wolverine movie. Right. This isn't an X-Men movie, and there's nothing that says you can't tell a, wolf, a story native to Wolverine using those pieces that maybe doesn't have larger, you know, reaching uh, um, implications to the series. And, uh, <clears throat> and what I like about it is part of, uh, part of the X-Men thing is being afraid of losing control. Um, you know, most, most of your main characters, your, Cyclopses, Jean Grey, Wolverine, even uh, Professor X, their whole thing is is really repression. I guess Wolverine yeah. less so, but even as far as Wolverine goes, he's he's still repressed to, to a certain extent. Yeah. He's a, Wolverine is afraid, in the comics anyway, he's afraid of uh, losing control and going berserk and killing everybody. Yeah, Xavier's, they, they Xavier's kind of bring it up here of, with his, uh, sorry, they bring it up here with his, the once he takes that medication, the super the green serum, his yeah, sort of rage yeah. becomes more prominent. Yeah, 
And, you know, Xavier's always afraid of losing control and, and you know, doing something on a massive scale with his brain. Cyclops is, needs to wear his visor and glasses, otherwise he loses control and, and blows everything up. Jean Grey, if Jean Grey loses control, she turns into a space god and kills everybody. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think this movie is is a good extension of that, where it's, it's, it's exploring what happens if they do lose control. Like... Uh, Professor X is not in control in this movie, and you can see the he's killed the entire X-Men team. Yep. And when he's off of his pills, you know, he has those weird seizures that cause harm. Wolverine's not in control. He's in control of some things, but he's not really in control of his body. Yep. Um, and it's kind of uh, to the point where he has to literally fight himself. He's looking at a version of himself that it is is in is he cannot he cannot control at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he can't match up to uh, like yeah. he is he is inferior to that the younger version of him basically yeah and so I think some of that stuff with Xavier I think works because it's sort of dealing with that aspect where it's like there are some things he can control and some things he can't and like you know I think that's part of what's nice about that scene where they do stay is like for a second they get to kind of take take a breath um but I, w- I would agree. I would agree that it's not probably as tightly tightly executed as it could be. Yeah. Yes. And the the like the the losing control thing for Xavier and everything like that is it's a you know it's it's it does well for the service of the Logan character and the relationship that he has with Xavier at that point where he, he's he's the one X-Men who doesn't he might be the only one left alive as far as we know but he's he's the one that doesn't abandon him at the very end um it's obviously a you know they they fake being grandfather son and daughter at the, at a point in the movie when they're all traveling together and it, but yeah. the, the relationship actually is that on some mm-hmm. level, like they're not biologically related, but that is their relationship to each other. And the fact that they mimic it is a nice sort of callback and sort of awareness of that's the situation with these characters going forward. Yeah, uh, definitely. Let's see here. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I guess we can just kind of, we've been talking for an hour, so I guess we can kind of give a, a sort of light wrap up of the movie and everything that we thought, but I, th- I think it's one I, before we do that, I want to get yeah, into yeah. one aspect that we can talk about a little bit. Sure. <clears throat> How do you feel about the clone? The, the Logan clone? Do you think that's too on the nose or do you think it works? I actually, I didn't think it was too on the nose. I actually just didn't kind of like it in a, on like a story level for some reason. Like it, it, maybe it is because it's too on the nose and he's fighting his younger self, but it, it didn't really, it felt a little it felt unrealistic to me in a way that the rest of the movie didn't on some yeah. level. It felt it felt like it was too much of an X-Men sci-fi moment at that point. Yeah. Um and it took me out of the movie a little bit. Um but I'm also I'm also a little bit hazy on the entire villain plot that's going on. Mm-hmm. I don't think it really matters because it's not really the story that I'm interested in here, but there's a lot of stuff going on that I don't really care to know about. I don't know why they introduced what's the guy's name? Xander Rice. Is he the scientist? Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the point of him being there. I was kind of I, I thought it was funny how how they kill him off at the end, which is just kind of random and yeah. it just happens. But yeah, I really like, his, like that. <laughs> his whole his whole reason to be in the movie didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um 
even the sledgehammer you weigh like he's like you know who i am he's like yeah i killed your father when i escaped he's like yes you did and this is the reason why everything has happened to all the mutants because of my vengeance thing um the villains the villains didn't strike me as particularly great in this movie outside of just being a force that's constantly chasing them yeah i think they work thematically like i think you know whereas the 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 issue um kind of expounding on the the control theme um the villains are all about control and like a negative control because yep. they have control over mutants they have control literally over wolverine whereas wolverine has lost control of even his dna and yes, these right. guys have it um and i i think it works i think it makes the villain uh the clone work for me cuz usually i hate that shit uh like it i don't know usually that stuff feels really hacky but um i feel like it works here because if i don't think anybody else in that position would have made thematic or sense or been satisfying like i know that there was some talk of that character actually being sabertooth yeah uh, yeah or <clears throat> and i was thinking about that i was like well, sabertooth ah, i mean i guess uh, you know it'd be kind of cool to see sabertooth again but like to introduce him that late into the movie doesn't really have any, like, thematic weight to it. Um, I any also other feel villain like, I could... well, the, the Sabretooth thing, I would vacillate, like, they'd have to do something where, like, would it be the real Sabretooth? It wouldn't be a clone of Sabretooth? Well, that would be the, I think, the way... I think so, yeah. So, I mean, the, the, clone, the cloning angle reveals the fact that, like, that provides the drive for why the clones do what they do. You know, they've been right. programmed basically. If it was Sabretooth, I'd have a problem being like, why, why is he doing this kind of at this point? Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think the movie is really the one that this is not the movie where they want to explain Sabretooth's, uh, right, sort of exactly. rationale for what he's doing. Yeah. 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 I, I, and I was, as I was thinking about, it, I was like, this is the only, if, if you're going to have him have another mutant that he has to fist fight, I think this is the only one that makes sense. Yes, is for it to be another version of him, you know, because it is it is on the nose, but I think it works. And what if it was uh, another clone that didn't look what that was not Hugh Jackman? Would that have been better? Uh, or would you, you, you mean like that's you a, mean you mean like a, a mouthless Deadpool <laughs> from the first X Men? Because I was thinking about that I, as I was watching it this time. I was like, this works. This works for me. If it was something else, and as soon as I thought that, I was like, oh, you mean like the first X Men movie where they do essentially the same kind of thing where they the weapon x program is taking dna to create a super weapon and it turns into this fucking abortion of a deadpool right uh, <laughs> and it's just stupid and like that's why you end up when when you do that stuff that's why you end up having to couch it in scenes where you've got wolverine Sabretooth, and quote unquote deadpool fighting on top of a uh nuclear power plant smokestack that gets yep. collect you know you, that's why the, those fights have to end up getting so big is because you don't give a shit about what's happening whereas in this one i i used to um the the, the joke i used to to say about these movies was uh, specifically the uh the 20th century fox movies so like fantastic four and the x-men is you could tell they were going to be bad and the budget was low when most of them take place in the forest yeah, because yeah. like X Men Three, like, a good portion of that movie is just people standing around in the woods, and it looks dumb. And <laughs> Fantastic Four Two, there's a good portion of that movie that takes place with people standing around in the woods. Right. And this one doesn't have that problem because what they're doing, you can have your final fight be just 
in a in a, a clearing of trees because everything that's happening actually has weight to it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, well, l- let me see if you think that. I mean, to add weight to the end here, what if the what if the Logan clone was a aged version of X twenty three, the girl Laura or whatever? Um, like, mm. I, I wonder. You'd probably have a hard time explaining it, but it would tie into the end where, as he's dying, he tells little Laura that he, she has to resist being the killer that they've made her to be. You know what I mean? That would be interesting actually that would be especially because of the way it ends because she she's the one that kills him right yeah and to have her actively kill her evil self that would that would be interesting i would be okay with that i think yeah i think yeah i think that would be i think that would still work i mean yeah because i mean you're still that way you still have him dealing with it's still a part of him yeah he's still dealing with himself but he's He's also still now dealing with his the effect that he's had on other people. Yeah, I think that would have worked. That would have been pretty good, actually. Yeah, I just I, I found myself a little bit distracted by the CGI young version of Jackman at some point. Like the I, he, he was he was not he was I didn't not. I think pers- it was as bad as they as some other movies have done with that. Yeah, I I, I still I found it. I found it, it was just, it was so odd in this movie that it's, like, if it had taken place in Apocalypse or something, it would have been like, yeah, that's fine. That's part of the plot, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But it's just how it stuck out in this movie is a little bit odd to me. And it's just yeah, it's like, something uh, to pay attention seen, to. Have you seen the new Blade Runner yet? No, I haven't. Uh, well, you don't care about spoilers, right? Nope. Okay. Well, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen Blade Runner. Three, two, one. For as high tech and... Uh, you know, CGI filled. Well, they did do a lot of practical stuff, but you know what I mean. There's a lot of special effects in Blade Runner. Uh, one of the things they do is they do a CGI youthful version of a character from the first movie, which works. Like it works in the movie, and it makes sense given the subject matter. But it was weird to see them do that because it's like Blade Runner feels like such an older technology kind of movie to see that new. Excuse me. To see to see that new technology in it was yep. a little bit off-putting at first. Sure. Um, yeah. So it's it has, weird. Well, it reminds me of um, when we did the RoboCop stuff. We always talked about Verhoeven's aesthetic feels very clunky, you know, yeah. compared to the technology that's going on. Blade Runner is kind of kind of the same. It's a little, yeah. it's, an, it's a dirty future where clean tech kind of sticks out like that. Yeah. Same. Same with this movie. It's it's a very dirty future, and it's actually. I like it because it's future light, so it's like it's kind of now, but it's just future enough that there's some stuff that we don't have, like self-driving cars and you know that kind of thing. Yep, you can take um, those leaps that you need to for the story without getting crazy with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I actually thought the the only time that 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 effect looked kind of weird was that first shot where he's walking down the stairs, where they do it like in one camera pan, where he walks by himself in one yeah. shot. Yep, circles that was himself. the only time I thought it looked kind of weird. Aside from that, I thought it was okay. Yeah, yeah. Huh. It, it's uh yeah, it's been a it's an interesting it, movie. Did you have anything else you wanted to bring up before we sort of wrap up this thing? Um I don't think so. Um no, Yeah, no, that's that's about it. I think we covered pretty much everything. Yeah, Patrick Stewart's Patrick Stewart's in this movie and he's good. 
Yeah, he's 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 the lead in, and again, I think that the uh, the concept of the show is more just search using a way to sort of find the highs and lows of a various career, and sort of get a, a broad uh, swath of movies yeah. that we're going to be covering. I, I would like to say though, <clears throat> I I hate to keep burying Star Trek Discovery, but it's it's been night and day for me doing these shows where we're actually watching stuff that's legitimately good. Sure. And not having to couch it and quantify why it's pretty good. Um, <laughs> so hopefully, you know, hopefully that can pick up and get back to it's 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 really satisfying to to get to to talk about stuff that's like legit worthy of talking about. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully the <laughs> With that in mind, keep listening to the Star Trek Discovery podcast where <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I just shit on the show the entire time. Well, I mean, it, and hopefully it'll tie into the very low-ranked movies here, where it's actually it's legitimately bad. A lot of these are going to be like pretty, like wow, this is a bad yeah, movie. Yeah, I'm I'm afraid though that there are going to be a lot of these movies that are low-rated that are going to be a, a slog to get through. Yes, I, I I think Christmas Eve might be that kind of a story. So we'll, we'll have to say cool. Um, I mean, a zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes is pretty special. There's a Wikipedia page dedicated to zero percent movies on Rotten Tomatoes, and is Christmas Eve a zero percent movie? It's a zero and has fifteen ratings at the last time I checked, so oh, it's like boy. a legitimate zero. Um, wow. So we'll get to that, but yeah, guys, thank you very much. Uh, well, I guess we'll wrap up with Logan. Just sort of a final thoughts thing. I like Logan. I don't know if it's my favorite X Men movie. Um, Future's Past or First Class might take that spot for me. I think, but. It's a nice break from the regular formula that the uh, superhero movies kind of stick to. It was yeah. disturbingly violent. It had something to say, and it actually it doesn't bludgeon you with the message or anything. And it, it leaves a lot of to imagination. It's a, it's basically a well made movie, which is kind of nice to watch every once in a while. Yeah, I think uh, I don't know if I'd say it's the best X Men movie because it's not really an X Men movie. Sure, um, it's definitely the best Wolverine movie they've made. But that being said. I think they can do better. And what I mean by that is, um, so the last one they made, the Wolverine, was probably the closest they've come to doing a comic book Wolverine story. That's the Japan one, right? Yeah. I think there's a Wolverine movie out there where you can do a story that is... um, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, Appropriate to the comic and the history of the character. Like, this is Wolverine. You know, this is not really – this is not the old man Logan story at all from the comic. Mm -hmm. Um, That that comic involves, like, the Hulk and a bunch of inbred Hulk sons and (laughs) Hawkeye. And it's a a really weird story. Yeah. Um, So I think they can do a Wolverine story – that is a classic Wolverine story and make a really great movie out of it. I think this movie shows that you can do that. I think they just have to work a little bit harder to figure out how this Wolverine um, can fit into comic book Wolverine. Sure. I I would need I would need a I would need a different Wolverine storyline at this point. I've had enough of yeah. him being ruefully you know, dismissive of being part of a community, basically. Like, I, I need him to either just be on his own for a while and have his own vendetta thing and no larger team aspect or something, some different take on it. But that that would be my only request if they do another I hope, movie. 
I hope when they event when they inevitably recast Wolverine and bring him back in some form, I hope they do him do him as a secondary character. Yeah, yeah. I think he's, um, you know, obviously he can. He he is a character strong enough to 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 build on the back of because they've built every single X Men movie on the back of him. Um, Let's just have very old Logan and Patrick Stewart can play Wolverine in that in that in that future <laughs> world. Um, yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, I think that. Um, so yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't rank this as your top X Men movie, but you thought it was a pretty solid movie. I would say it's. I, I guess I guess I should quantify that by saying like I, as far as the quality of the quote unquote X Men universe goes, I would say this is probably the most well made movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think as far as X Men movies go, it's kind of hard to beat Days of Future Past. Um, X Men Two is very close. I think I, earlier I said X Men Two. X Men Two might still be the best. I don't know. I haven't watched it in a while. I don't know how it holds up. Yeah, I don't know um, how it would hold. X Men Two for a long time was my favorite superhero movie. Like on yeah. pretty much all levels. I, I don't know if it's aged as well at this point. I think you know, kind of like what I was saying before. I think as far as the X Men as a visual concept translated from the comic to the screen, I think Days of Future Past is the most successful. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And it's and fun, do- too. You know, I, I, I was talking with uh, Murphy about this when it, after it came out, and his big criticism was uh, uh, he he thought it was good, but it was just joyless, which I can't really argue that, that it's that it's not joyless, because it kind of is. Yeah. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't think they have to be, like, laugh riots. You know, I, um, well, but- I think they're, they're the most appropriate, their subject matter is the most appropriate to have a darker movie. Like that. yeah, like I would it, agree. it's a it's a it's it's not a Spider Man movie and things like that. Where if like if, if it was a joyless Spider Man, you basically failed completely in what you're trying yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, it's it you know the the extermination of a a group of people and going back in time to save yourselves. Yeah, I, I think it has a little bit of a, an allowance there. I still think they have funny moments in those movies, uh, the character work and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, I meant he, he was talking about Logan as being joyless. Oh, I'm sorry. I was I was thinking of another movie. He thought Logan was joyless. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Days of Future's Past is is fun. It's a it's a fun movie. Okay, all yeah. right. Yeah, okay. That, uh, it that makes have, more it sense. Has, it has dark moments, but it is funny. But yeah, he was, he was talking about Logan saying Logan is joyless, which I can see, um, but I think it's appropriate. Yes, and I think yeah. uh, you know not everything has to be sunshine and roses. So yeah, I, I think I think my my confused point would still stand for this movie. I think this one can get away with being joyless. I think it's yeah. it's it's a genre piece that's appropriate for that. I guess in some yeah, way. I would agree. Um, because if you're taking, you know, I would say that noir and the western are two very big influences here, and you can you can have totally joyless movies in both of those genres, and they make sense. Definitely, um, yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that's about it. I think we're going to wrap it up here. It's the 93% Logan on Rotten Tomatoes, a movie that I, I very much enjoyed. It was a good time to watch. Patrick Stewart's in it, and he triggered off this whole discussion. Um, and it just it's funny that the, the role of Patrick Stewart, the second-tier man, is basically fit to a T in this movie. He is that role continuing on. It's not an uh, outlier or anything like that. Uh, let's see here. Well, guys, if you enjoyed this uh, content and you uh, want to hear more, 
You can go to the social media. All the links will be in the video description or the podcast blurb. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. You go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. You can support the show there. A couple dollars a month gets you extra stuff. And you'll actually be able to vote on what we talk about. So you'll choose the actor or directors that we go. Uh, we just discuss going forward. It'll be a director next month because we'll do an actor. This one, I think we'll alternate uh, back and forth. So write in some suggestions on the comments on YouTube or just email us at uh, the Penske file video at Gmail. All that stuff is in the blurbs. Let me know what you'd want to uh, talk about or see talked about as directors, all that stuff. Uh, Clay, you have anything you want to say before we sign off? Uh, no, I don't think so. I know we have. I uh, I was talking to Dan yesterday about this concept, and he was very excited. And he wants he he's requesting uh, to be featured on the Eddie Murphy episode. <laughs> what what is? Hold on, let me look up what Eddie Murphy's uh, high and low would be here. Does he know what? Do, what do you think the high uh, Rotten Tomatoes? Rotten Tomatoes for Eddie Murphy. Uh, I'm going to say high is Beverly Hills Cop and low is uh, Pluto Nash, possibly Norbit. Oh, it's actually 48 hours is the high. Is he, is really? he, a, is he a big role in 48 hours? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's the, uh, he, it's, he's like the secondary lead in that. Oh, yes. He is. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so it would be 48 hours for a high, and his low would be a thousand words, or The Adventures of Pluto Nash, probably. He yeah. stars in that one. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised by, which one did you guess for the top one? Where the hell uh, is Beverly it? Hills Cop. Oh, that's at, that's at 84%. It's actually, it's like sixth on his list. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, forty. it goes 48 hours and then Shrek. Oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. We have a couple of uh, rules about what we do. So there's no documentaries that we would do. They have to be sort of a top build actor on it. Um, and outside of that, that's it. Directors have to actually direct their movie. I a lot think of- we should. I think unless it's unless it's like studio or director related, I think we should avoid animated movies. Okay. Because I don't think like, let's say I don't if we were doing an Eddie Murphy bit high and low. And the high was Shrek. I don't think that's really indicative of his career. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I guess that's true. Uh, yeah, the kids will know him as the donkey and everyone else will just know him as uh, Pluto Nash, I suppose, at some point. I, like, I, I could see us doing like a DreamWorks high and low, which I think Shrek would probably be at the top of. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a good idea. Like a best, a best and worst of each studio or something like yeah. that would be kind of an interesting thing. But anyway, guys, I guess we'll sign it off there. Um, We will see you next time when we talk about Christmas Eve, which is at 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. And uh, that's about it. Guys, thank you very much. See you next time.